the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Paul's main concern is not that we look at our watches or our calendars or try to predict when Christ will return to earth or even that we know when Christ will come again. His concern, God's concern, is how we view our time here on earth. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. With every celebration of a new year, we become acutely aware as we get older and older of the passing of time and really how quickly it passes. For many, this has never been more true this past week. As we said goodbye to a year that was, for many, the epitome of difficult days, hoping for a brighter future, hoping for a COVID-free 2021. And so, year after year, with the passing of time and the growing of our own wisdom, we learn to measure our days. We become more focused on living life to the fullest. And that's why we see in the world around us, carpe diem, Or seize the day becomes the motto and mandate of life. This Latin phrase, carpe diem, emphasizes the enjoyment and full use of the here and now with little regard to the future. You only live once, we would say today. Seize the moment. Live life to the fullest. This makes total sense to those who have no anticipation for an eternity, an eternity that is greater than anything we could experience today. Because carpe diem, if there's nothing in the great beyond, then naturally you have to live life to the fullest today because for them there is nothing in the future. There is no eternity. It is just the end or darkness. So the world says make every day count Fulfill your every desire. Forget about tomorrow. Definitely forget about the far-off future and use everything you have for today. We as Christians, however, we know better. We know that we are not of this world. Seize the day doesn't apply to us because we are not of this day. This is not our life. There is something better. We are eternal people. We are people of eternity. To follow the world's pursuit of carpe diem would be for us like focusing on enjoying the boarding process of a flight and not planning or enjoying the actual vacation. No, friends, we as Christians, we do not live for today. Carpe diem is not for us. Rather, we live today in light of eternity. We know that we are just passing through. We know that this is just a drop in the bucket in terms of time. For eternity is eternity. It does not end, and it is better. We do not carpe diem. For us, it is carpe futurum. Seize the future. Live today, yes, but live today for the future. But what does that mean? 
It sounds nice. It sounds catchy. But this can often prove difficult. But this is where Paul comes to the rescue. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. As Paul instructs us how and why we are to live not for today, but for the future. We find ourselves in a passage where Paul continues to talk about marriage and singleness. But this particular passage, though it does apply in the context, is so practical and so applicable to every stage of life. Verses 29 through 31, 1 Corinthians 7. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. At first glance, I understand that this passage can be confusing. What in the world does he mean that we are to weep as though we did not weep? For those of us who are married, to live as if we are not married, surely that doesn't mean what it sounds like. Well, as we unpack these verses, we'll see that this is very deep and helpful instruction on how to live in light of eternity This morning, very simply, I will give you two perspectives for living in light of eternity. In other words, two perspectives you must have, and you must have them both, for living the way you are saved to live. This is not something that we can just choose to do or not to do as Christians. We can either maximize our pleasures of this world, or we can live for eternity. No, no, if you want to honor God, if you want to live the way you are saved for, then you will live in light of eternity. The first perspective we need to have for living in light of eternity is your recognition of the times. I find this in the brief phrase in the beginning of verse 29 as well as in the end of verse 31. He starts by saying, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened And then we jump ahead to the end of verse 31, for the form of this world is passing away. And we'll talk more about that second point in our second point. But they work together. What Paul first tells us is that time has been literally pulled together, drawn together so that the quantity is smaller, or in this case, because we're talking about time, shorter. It is compressed so that all that is left is a short amount of time. And what has been shortened is not our lives, but the world as we know it. And here's where we connect to uh, the end of the passage for the form of this world is passing away. If you were to look at God's timeline, and much of it we don't know or understand, but timeline for man from creation, which we have told for us in Genesis 1 and 2, And then the end times, which we have scattered throughout the Scriptures, but especially in Revelation. We see that God's timeline for man was divided, or is divided, into sections. Very large sections. Sections that span uh, multiple generations. And we are in the last section, the final age. This culminates with the end times, the second coming of Christ, and Armageddon, and the tribulation, and all of those things. But we are in the final phase of God's plan for man. After the phase that we are in, after the age that we are in, is eternity. There is nothing else in this world as we know it. Now, as we saw a couple weeks ago on our Christmas service, this particular age or this particular section 
of the timeline of man as created by God began with Jesus' birth. And so we know what had been anticipated and been longed for and been waited for for so many years by the people of God has been inaugurated when Jesus came to be born as a baby, which we celebrated on Christmas Day. Now, we don't know when the end of this section will be because we are not told exactly when Christ will return, but we know that that end, the reality of Christ coming again, has become more concrete, more realistic, because He has come the first time at His earthly birth. The word time that Paul is using here Uh, refers to a fixed or a definite period of time. Now again, we don't know how long this period of time is, but we do know that God has already decided. We are interested in knowing just generally if if God could just tell us the, the year that He will return. But I tell you that God has already decided upon the very second that He will return, and you can be assured of that. Now, we don't know when He will come, and He makes it very clear that He does not want us to know that He will come like a thief in the night. But speaking of this age that we are in, and we will continue to live in until He comes again, there are a few things that define this age, and as I mentioned just three of them, I think you will understand that that, uh, these things really resonate with us. These seem like norms for us because they are involved in all of Christianity, but you've got to understand that these three things that define this age are unique to this time frame in which we were born and live. The first is the giving of the Holy Spirit, not the existence of the Holy Spirit. He has existed as God, very God from eternity past, but the giving of the Holy Spirit in every follower of the Lord is unique to this time period. Yes, the Holy Spirit did work, and there are those individuals who were guided and had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times, but it was not a universal indwelling as it is today. The second thing that defines this age is the church. We call this actually the church age because of the existence of the church. Before the church, it was Israel. The nation of Israel were God's people. Now it is the church. Not the church building, but the church as the body of Christ. And so it's not just the church as our second defining aspect of this age, but the church as well as the church's mission to evangelize the world, which is part and parcel of who and what we are as the church. The third defining aspect of this age is the call for all of mankind, all of mankind, to make a decision for Christ. Obviously, this could not happen prior to the fulfillment of the gospel in Christ's birth, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so we are living in very particular times. And when you look at these three defining aspects of this age, especially the church and the call to evangelize and the call of all of mankind to repent and turn to Jesus Christ, you can see how this is very defining and emblematic of the final days. This is it. It's time to be saved. It's time to go out there and get people saved because the end of all things is coming. Now, Paul says that this time has been shortened. And it's important to understand that the shortening of this time is by God's grace. This is in no way a punishment. It is God's grace. 
We know in part this is because as believers we long for eternity to begin. We long to be with Him. But understand at the end of this age, there is no more sin. There is no more death. And so you could almost see, in contrast to the ways of the world and where there is sin and death, but there are also worldly pleasures, the degree to which you long for eternity is for you as a Christian a good gauge of whether or not you love the world in a sinful way. Do you truly see the shortening of this time, these days, as the grace of God, an undeserved gift? Do you long for Him to come, or are you so enmeshed with the pleasures of this world that you kind of want Him to come, but you hope that He delays? Understand that as we look at the context, the word time that Paul uses refers not only to a specific period of time, but also a specific quality of that time period. So we understand that Paul's main concern is not that we look at our watches or our calendars or try to predict when Christ will return to earth or even that we know when Christ will come again. His concern, God's concern, is how we view our time here on earth, our perspective in light of eternity. How do we live? What do we prioritize? How do we view the things that this world has to offer? In other words, when Paul says the time has been shortened, His goal is not to get us to look at our watches or calendars to be frantic that Christ is going to come tomorrow or tonight, but to change how we view our lives, to change our perspective. Stop living for today. Use today to live for eternity. Specifically, we are to have a radically different view than the world around us. We are to have a radically different view than we had before we were saved. We are to have a biblical worldview In other words, everything we see in the world and even how we look at things like science and society and culture and justice and movements and politics, everything in the world, our own spouses, our own emotions, our own physical growth and intellectual growth, all is a worldview and it must be gauged and viewed through the lens of Scripture. That's a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview revolves around knowing what in the world is right and what is not. What pursuits and priorities are correct and what are for the Christian and non-Christian wrong. You know, when we look at the original context, we actually have it a lot easier than the Corinthians. Their generation are being told that they are now in an age that was inaugurated by an event, the birth of Christ, that for many of them happened in their lifetime, meaning that some of them were born and raised prior to this church age and then lived and died in the church age. Think about that. These people that Paul is writing to originally, they could not have been raised in Christian homes because there was no such thing as a Christian. They were the first ones. All of us today, we were born well after this age began. We were born, raised, live, and will die in the church age. For us, since we've been born, long before we were born, the Bible is complete. The church is established. We don't have to try to change our perspective and our mindset to an age that didn't exist when we were teenagers. 
we just need to deal with our own minds and not have to deal with ages and timelines. Our battle is with changing our mindset from the worldly or from before we were saved and then the continuing battle as the trends and the the pressures of the world influence us in so many different ways. And as we will see in a moment, these pressures are not just our ways of thinking, our sin, but even how we view things like possessions. And what Paul is reminding us is to live with an eternal perspective, to not be controlled or dominated by the temporal or the things of the world. You don't go on vacation for a couple weeks in Europe and spend a week doing real estate shopping to buy a house that you plan to live in there for years because your flight is in seven days. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be so enmeshed in it. Learn a few phrases, sure, a lot of us like to do that, but to take a three-year course on the language just so you can communicate for your two-week vacation where you're going to be going to restaurants and places where everyone speaks English, it doesn't make sense. But that's sometimes what we do here on earth. We get so involved knowing that our time here is temporary. And so we need to live as we are in reality, which is people of eternity. So let me just put it very simply. To live with an eternal perspective means to not be controlled or dominated by the temporal, by the things of the world. And that's key. Because we will see that Paul tells us that we must use these things, but we cannot be controlled by them. We cannot be dominated by them. Not just the things in our lives, but even the things we desire. Put it another way, we are not to be controlled or dominated by the things that dictate the existence of everyone else in the world that is outside of the church. And that's where, frankly, it becomes difficult. Because most of the people we work with, even some of our family members who aren't saved, they live in a completely different world. They, their priorities are completely different. Their pursuits, their goals are totally different, and that affects us because we live in their homes. We, we see how they live. They talk to us. They, they have goals for us as their children of what we should pursue or how we should raise our kids, and it can become very difficult But we must understand that distinction. They live for the here and now. We live for the future. And so like a a parent who tells his child that he can't have candy all day, we get it. Not as God does, but we get it. They don't. They don't understand. They don't understand the, the ruining of their appetite. They don't understand health. They don't understand the sugar crash. But we get it. We know better. So we need to stop living like the, the candy-eating children of the world who we can't judge them. They don't know any better. They don't have the Lord. That's all they can live for. That's the best they can do. But we know better, so we need to stop living like that, especially because we know that we are living in an inaugurated age and the end is on its way. Now, the primary and foundational way to do this is to recognize the reality of the time that we are living in. But Paul goes on to give us specifics of what that looks like to live as aliens, to live in light of the future and eternity 
I think you understand when I say live for the future, I don't mean like save up for retirement or for the next holiday. We're talking about after death, after rapture, the future being the eternal future. And so in looking at two perspectives for living in light of eternity, we must recognize the times, but secondly, your relationship with the temporal, your relationship with the things of the world, the temporal, the things that will pass away, the things that will not be in eternity. Look at the second part of verse 29 and through the end of our section, which is verse 31. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. And what we see here is that there are five specific areas or, or aspects of the world, relationships we have in the world or with the world that Paul addresses in the larger con- context of our relationship with the temporal or with the world and not eternity. And I want to break down all five of these. Uh, two of them we're going to look at together because they go under the same category. But All of these are important, and they all really say the same thing. And so there's five specific areas. It is multifactorial, if you will. The first he talks about is the spouse, your relationship with your spouse. He says those who are married should act, be as if they were unmarried. Now, let's begin by stating the obvious, because whenever we look at a passage like this that on the surface seems to lead us in a certain direction, you understand that we need to look at the context not only of this verse, but of the entirety of Scripture. So let's begin again by stating the obvious. This is not a call to neglect your biblical roles as husband and wife for the sake of eternity or for the sake of ministry. What he is saying here does not allow you to love your spouse any less, be any less committed, or stop trying to excel still more in that relationship. We know this. We've talked about this. Paul's making a point in this and all of the five aspects, and the point is this. We must prioritize. That's a key word. We must prioritize the eternal over the temporal, and marriage is temporal. There is no marriage in heaven. There is no marriage in eternity. In eternity, your spouse will not be your spouse, but he or she will be a fellow worshiper. And when we are there, you understand that there will be no sin. And so without sin, it's fair to say that your relationship and fellowship with your spouse will be even greater in eternity despite them not being your spouse anymore. The family bond at that time in eternity, worshiping together will be stronger than the unity in marriage. It will be stronger than the unity in blood. It is pure, undefiled fellowship and worship. Let me make this practical. Your marriage should not in any way diminish or reduce your commitment to the Lord and His work. I'll say that again. Your marriage should not in any way diminish or reduce your commitment to the Lord and His work. And we understand the the, the challenges of this. It's not just your relationship with your spouse, but what marriage entails. Children, mortgages, purchases, things like that. And in the wider context, you can see how this ties into Paul's preference that Christians remain single because marriage is a tug, a pull away from 
the Lord at times. It's challenging to keep the same level of commitment to God and service when you are married as you had when you are or were single. Now, if you choose to marry or have chosen to marry, you must keep in mind, as I've mentioned earlier and alluded to, your romantic love is not a forever love. There is a word in the Greek for romantic love, and it is not the word agape. In fact, that word is not found in the New Testament. It is a temporary love, romantic love, which will be replaced with an even greater eternal love, perfect love. And as wonderful as it is, marriage is transient. Your relationship with the Lord, however, is forever. It cannot be broken here on earth, and it will last for eternity. And with this, you could add any relationship, not just with your spouse, but with your parents, with your children, with your best friend. We cannot let any relationship pull us away from our commitment to the Lord. You need to be careful, then, that you do not sacrifice worship in pursuit of marriage, and when you are married, not to sacrifice service and worship for your spouse's happiness or even a happy marriage. Paul goes on in verse 30 to give us a second and third temporal aspect of the world. He says, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. These are two separate, obviously, but what he's talking about in both is emotions. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.